Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Bible and Life podcast. I am so glad that you're joining me on this episode. If, as you listen to this podcast, you find it helpful to you, you find it helpful to your spiritual life, your spiritual growth, your discipleship to Jesus, be sure to share this podcast with your friends. Be sure to write a review on uh, iTunes or wherever you listen to it. If you're able to write a review, recommend it. Uh, five star, whatever you can do just to let people know that this podcast is helpful and valuable to you would be great. Share it on social media so that more and more people can find the podcast and can experience the benefit that you have found in it as well. And on that note, I am just extremely grateful to those of you who make not only this podcast, but this entire Bible and Life ministry possible You know, my heart in this is to provide online resources to help people grow in their faith so that they can follow Jesus. That's what I'm all about. I want to take reading the Bible and turn it into a source of life. And so many people find that online these days that I just want to provide these resources online. And I couldn't do it without those of you who generously support this ministry, support this podcast, support the listeners' commentary. If you haven't checked that out, check that out as well. So, I just want to say right up front today, thank you so much to those of you who generously support this ministry and support this podcast. Your generosity not only is a huge encouragement and blessing to me and my family, but way beyond that, it is a benefit and a blessing to so many hundreds of people who are experiencing the Bible in a fresh new way, who are experiencing the life-giving truth of the Bible through this means, and they're doing so because you're making it possible. So thank you so much for your generosity and your support. All right, let's jump into the topic for the day. Here is the question I want us to think about. Is it possible to know the Bible, but not really know the Bible? been in a series or really more a loosely connected stream of podcasts related to um, just our relationship to the Bible and looking at Jesus's relationship to the Bible and some of the things Jesus taught about the Bible so that we could more fully appreciate what it means to be a Bible-focused, Bible-centered person so that we could see how deeply the Bible is connected to our discipleship to Jesus. If we really want to be disciples of Jesus, we've got to be rooted in the scriptures. We've got to learn the scriptures. Last uh, week, our last episode, we, we looked at Jesus and just how saturated Jesus was with the Bible itself. And that sets a huge example for us as his disciples. Disciples imitate their master. Jesus was saturated in scripture. We must be saturated in the scriptures. In this episode, I want to continue in that vein, and I want us to think about how easy it is for us to know the Bible, but not really know the Bible. And the fact is, is We see this, again, in Jesus' ministry, and we see it very early on. Um, 
as you watch Jesus uh, teach in the, the Gospels, he begins to have encounters with the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, particularly those groups. The Pharisees, if you're not familiar with them, they were the popular religious teachers. If all we ever did was read about the Pharisees in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, we would think the Pharisees obviously are bad guys, right? Because Jesus challenges them so much on their hypocrisy and uh, some of their, uh, you know, their teaching is good, but the way they carry it out is not some of their traditions. And so you get the, the a distinctly negative impression about the Pharisees in the Gospels, understandably so. But from the perspective of the average ordinary Jew of Jesus' day, these guys were like the, their religious heroes. They were the popular religious teachers of the day. They were the ones who led the synagogues. They were the ones who taught the, the kids in school in the synagogues. They were the Bible teachers par, par excellence, right? They were, the, they were the, the people that the Jews of the day looked up to. And, and as a result, they were the popular religious teachers of the day. The Sadducees were more like the religious elites. They tended to be located in Jerusalem and run the temple. Uh, they tended to be more among the ruling and the wealthy class. And yet they were still, uh, you know, scripture experts, theological experts of their day. Uh, the scribes were uh, often paired with the Pharisees. They were the ones who kind of copied the text and made sure the scriptures were being passed on. They were the ones who wrestled with technical details of the text and uh, even technical questions about the text and how to apply that and live that out. And so they these guys were like, they were the Bible experts of their day. Now, with that in mind, we need to pay attention to what I think is an absolutely terrifying phrase in the teaching of Jesus, in the ministry of Jesus. It's terrifying, especially for someone like me, since I uh, sort of occupy that same position I have for my whole adult life, that same position of the scribes and the Pharisees, a, a religious leader. I've been a pastor, a Bible college professor, a Bible teacher, a youth minister, right? I've occupied that role as a popular level Bible teacher, Bible expert, theologian, all of that for my whole adult life. And as a result, this phrase is very terrifying to me, but I think it should be terrifying to all of us who have grown up in church or who have been long-standing disciples of Jesus who read the Bible, think we know the Bible, there's this phrase in Jesus' teaching that ought to really cause us to pause, to stop, to think, to examine ourselves. Let me give you one example. Mark chapter 12, Jesus tells them a parable, a parable of a vineyard, about how a man planted a vineyard, put a wall around it, dug a wine vat in the center of the vineyard with a wine press, right? Built a tower where the watchman would make sure no animals or thieves were getting into the vineyard. And so he did all that. Harvest comes, uh, sent out a slave to the vine growers in order to receive some of the produce uh, of the vineyard from the vine growers. So he had rented out his vineyard to tenant farmers. They're caring for it. They're working it. Now, since he's the owner, he comes, he wants to get some of the, the product of it. The wine is what he wants to get from it. They beat him, send him away empty-handedly. Uh, again, they sent another, he sent the, the owner sent another slave. They wounded him in the head, treated him shamefully. So he sent another, uh, Jesus tells in this parable, that one they killed. Things aren't going well, right? This owner is also like, these, these 
vineyard workers, these tenant farmers, they're, they're basically, a, it's a coup attempt trying to take over his vineyard. And so they're treating all his servants shamefully. Finally, you know, the owner's like, okay, I'm going to send my very own son. They'll at least respect my son. They don't. They kill the son. And they're like, no, the heir is gone. The vineyard is ours, right? That's the parable that Jesus tells. Um, at the end of telling that parable, um, Jesus then drives home the point that the parable, and the listeners would have known this, um, the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders of his day would have known that he was directing this parable at them because uh, a vineyard was a standard uh, imagery in the Old Testament for Israel itself. And the owners, you know, the, the leaders of Israel were the tenant farmers. So this imagery has been a long history among the Jews. So they would have recognized immediately um, that, oh man, this is an attack on us as the leaders. But at the end of it, Jesus quotes scripture. This is what he says, and this is the terrifying phrase. Mark 12, verse 10, Jesus says, have you not even read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Notice verse 10. He's speaking to the religious leaders, the people who supposedly knew the Bible better than anyone else, right? They were the teachers of the day. They were the ones that were supposed to shepherd God's people and help them follow God and learn his ways. And Jesus says in verse 10, have you not even read the scripture? That's like a little bit of Bible trash talk, right? Like theological trash talk, Bible teacher trash talk. Like, don't you even know what the scriptures say? Haven't you haven't you read? It's possible to read the Bible and miss the Bible. It's possible to know the Bible, quote unquote, and not really know the Bible. Um, you see this repeatedly in Jesus's ministry, Matthew chapter 12, right? The disciples are picking grain on a Sabbath and they become hungry. The Pharisees see this. Look, your disciples don't even do what's lawful to do on the Sabbath because of their traditions, their applications of the Bible, that they they became so real to them that they basically associated it with the Bible. And then Jesus says, haven't you read what David did? And it's a well-known story from the Old Testament that all of them probably had read, probably knew. And Jesus is jabbing at them with that phrase, haven't you read? Haven't you read? Or again, Matthew 22, another parable, and, and then an application of that parable. And then some Sadducees come and they challenge Jesus with a question about the resurrection. And uh, they do so with a, a hypothetical scenario about a man who fulfilled his responsibility, right? Like this this man dies, has no children, his brother is next in kin, marries his wife, because that's what the Old Testament law said to do, does it over and over again. So then they say, so in the resurrection, you know, whose wife will he be? And Jesus says, you're mistaken because you don't understand the scriptures or the power of God. He says, regarding the resurrection of the dead, haven't you read what was spoken to you by God? And then he quotes a passage from Exodus. Haven't you read? And we see this over and over again. And that's the terrifying phrase. Haven't you read? Well, of course they've read. These guys are the experts in the Bible. Of course they know the Bible. And yet somehow they missed it. It is possible to 
know the Bible and not really know the Bible. A number of years ago, I was pastoring at a particular church. Um, we had a gal in our church who was separated from her husband. Uh, her husband actually went to a different church. We were working to see if we couldn't bring reconciliation in this situation. Um, difficult situation all the way around. Here's the thing. Her husband, uh, he knew the Bible. Right? Like, Actually, if you looked at his Bible, it was incredibly highlighted. There were bookmarks in it. It was highlighted up. He could reference specific passages, and he did. Um, he knew the Bible in the sense that he could quote it. He could point out passages, pull them out of context, apply them to certain situations, reference specific passages. His Bible was even highlighted up. He had been taught. He, quote unquote, knew the Bible. And yet I would say he didn't really know the Bible. Um, how do I know that? Well, for example, on one occasion as we're working with he and his pastor to bring about reconciliation, um, a couple leaders from the church I was at met with his pastor and him. And this guy shows up to this meeting with no joke, not exaggerating, an inch thick file folder full of papers documenting all the ways his wife had wronged him. I'm telling you, he knew the Bible. He could quote passages. He quoted passages about me to me. Um, he, he knew the Bible, but he didn't know the Bible. He didn't understand the grace of God. He didn't Apparently, he didn't know about forgiving 70 times 7. Have you not read that uh, if someone uh, sins against you, you should forgive them 70 times 7? Have you not read? Right? Like He didn't know the Bible. And he's not alone. It's easy for us to uh, be so convinced that we're right that we miss those places where the Bible is pointing out that we're wrong. It's easy for us to get so convinced of what we are sure the Bible says that we miss um, what we need to change. It is so possible for us to be certain that we are the ones truly changing the world and living out God's word, making a difference, that we miss all the places where God is calling us wrong and calling us to change. I love this quote from Leo Tolstoy. He said, Everyone thinks of changing the world. No one thinks of changing himself. And if we really would change the world, it starts with changing ourselves. So often we're incredibly self-deceived. And a self-deceived person is a very dangerous person because they're highly unlikely to discover that they're wrong. Um, you know, so often a self-deceived person is so deceived that they believe they're the only ones who are right and everyone else is wrong. Um, and they can see everyone else's faults, but they can't really see their faults. It's this issue of plank eye that Jesus talks about in several places in his teaching where we have a plank in our eye and someone else has a speck in their eye. And we can, for whatever reason, we can see their little tiny speck, but somehow we can't see the plank in our own eye. This this tendency to think we're right and everyone else is wrong. And, and if we're going to actually know the Bible, if we're actually going to be changed by the Bible, then we have to 
have a learner's posture. We have to be humble. We have to be willing to change ourselves. We have to question ourselves. What's the difference between the faithful disciples of Jesus we see in the Gospels and the religious leaders of Jesus' day? Well, faithful disciples listened. They learned. They were willing to change, right? Even when it was hard. The Apostle John records an episode in Jesus' life that is really challenging. Jesus tells the, you know, the well-known speech, John chapter 6, about him being the bread of life. Wonderful phrase, but in that context, then Jesus says, metaphorically speaking, that unless someone eats my flesh and drinks my blood, they cannot have eternal life. Well, that's weird. That's confusing. That's challenging. And Jesus is making a very specific a point about that, but it's different and it's hard. And as a result, John says, this is John chapter 6, verse 66, as a result, many of his disciples withdrew and they were not following him anymore. They're like, ah, yeah, I can't buy that. No, that doesn't make sense. I don't, I don't, no, I'm not, I'm not down for that. So Jesus said to the 12, the faithful ones, right? Said to the 12, you don't want to go away also, do you? Listen to how Simon Peter responds. Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. We have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. What is Simon Peter saying? It's like, look, we don't totally get it. We don't totally understand this. But where else would we turn? We have come to believe that you really are the Holy One of God. And so even if we don't get it, even if it doesn't make sense, we're sticking with you, Jesus, because we want to listen and we want to learn. And that's the posture we need if we're really going to be changed by the Bible. That's the posture we need if we're really going to learn the Bible. We have to be willing to change. We have to be willing to be wrong. Like, oh man, I, I might have misunderstood that. Oh man. What I've always thought might not be true. I have to be willing to question myself and have a learner's posture and recognize that I can't possibly be right all the time. And if what I've always thought doesn't line up with what Jesus says, Jesus is more than likely right than me because he's smarter than me. He knows more than me, right? That's the posture of a, a faithful disciple. I'm, I'm humble. I'm willing to learn. I don't think I'm right all the time. I'm willing to question myself. I'm willing to question what I think I know. See, if we're going to be faithful to Jesus and learn the scriptures and be changed by the scriptures and really be a person whose life is rooted in the teaching of Jesus and the word of God, we have to have humility about how right we think we are. We have to have humility about how right we think we are. That is a crucial key to actually being a person of the Bible. I was talking with my son about C.S. Lewis last night. He and his wife and daughter were over for dinner, and we were visiting him. He's kind of on a C.S. Lewis kick and reading a lot of C.S. Lewis right now. I love C.S. Lewis myself, so we were talking about C.S. Lewis, and in the course of the conversation, that's one of the things that we just brought up is that one of the things we just so appreciate about C.S. Lewis, one of the things that stands out about C.S. Lewis is his absolute willingness to follow the truth wherever it leads and his humility about that. But 
if all of a sudden he realized, oh, wow, what I previously thought was not quite right and what I now believe to be true is more right than that, then he was just willing to change. And he was just willing to say, be, be go where the evidence led, change his ideas, change what he thought. He had this remarkable self-awareness and this remarkable self-honesty that grew out of his humility that enabled him to welcome the truth, take it deeply in, and change both his beliefs and his way of life according to that. In fact, it shows up at one point early on before he'd even fully become a Christian. He was like right on the cusp of becoming a Christian. He now believed in God. He was figuring out about Jesus. He was, And so he started going to church. He'd been an atheist, but he figured, well, if I believe in God, I should at least go to church because that's the right thing to do. Um, and he said, I didn't particularly enjoy the services. I didn't particularly enjoy the hymns. They were like fifth-rate poems put to bad music. That was sort of his description of it. So I didn't particularly enjoy the, the music, the hymns, or church itself. But I figured, these are his words, roughly paraphrasing, uh, I figured if, if, if this is who I was, if I was now going to be a theist and a Christian and follow Jesus, then I needed to plant my flag and fly it as highly as possible. I love that. Here's C.S. Lewis like, okay, I'm just, just beginning. I don't particularly enjoy this experience, but I need to plant my flag in the ground and fly it as highly as possible. This is who I am. This is where the evidence leads. This is my course of action. And we see that all throughout C.S. Lewis's life, where he was willing to adjust both his beliefs and his way of life, uh, depending on what he thought the truth was. More of us could do that. If we're going to actually know the Bible, we've got to be willing to question ourselves and have a humble learner's posture and be willing to change, be willing to change. That is crucial, crucial to being a person of the word. And so we, we should be humble about how right we think we are. Are we really as right as we think we are? Is it possible that we've been wrong? Is it possible that what Jesus is saying here doesn't really line up with what I thought? Is it possible that my behavior needs to change? We, we need to take the plank out of our eye. We need to recognize that, oh man, I don't want to just read the scriptures and let it confirm where I are, what I already believe. You know, throw away the ones that don't line up with what I already believe. I'm going to actually just take all the scriptures in and I am going to change according to the scriptures. If we're going to be faithful disciples and we're going to be people of the scriptures, that's the approach that we need to following Jesus. All right, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Bible and Life podcast. And as I noted at the beginning, this is a listener-supported show and a listener-supported ministry. So thanks to you who... Uh, donate so generously. If you want to join the team and be a supporter of both the Bible and Life podcast, the Bible and Life ministry, the listener's commentary, you can do so um, at World Family Mission. The link is in the notes below and you can give a one-time donation. You can set up a recurring donation to help support this ministry because it depends completely on the generosity of people just like you. So thanks so much. God bless you guys. Thanks for being a part of the Bible and Life family. I look forward to talking to you again next week.